You may open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7 this morning. Daniel chapter 7. We had a great week at the Shepherds Conference in Los Angeles, California this past week. Uh, Three other men went with me, Peter, Jeremy, and Luke. And uh, there's already some men that want to go with us next year. So men, if you want to come with us next year, come on next March to Los Angeles with us. We got to spend a week with John MacArthur and some other wonderful preachers. So um, excellent time of being refreshed. And uh, when you hear 4,000 voices all singing in the same room, it's a foretaste of heaven. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful. But I love to hear my church family sing too. That's also a foretaste of heaven. So praise God. We got back about midnight last night. So you lost one hour of sleep. We lost four coming back from California. But that's okay. God is good and will give us much strength this morning. Let's pray for that now. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us in your holy word. Give us strength, God, now as we open up this word. Some of us are tired just from the time change and the activities of the week. But Lord, we rest in you as we have just sung. Help us now and feed us by your word. Make much of Jesus through this text. Help us to be faithful to it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we witnessed the very familiar account of Daniel in the lion's den. As we saw, you could have just had named it Jesus in the lion's den. As you miss, if you missed that sermon, there are 17 reasons why Daniel points us to Christ, and we encourage you to listen to that um, and be encouraged, as that is the lens by which we see all the Scripture. The Bible is a Christ-centered book from Genesis through Revelation. As we see Daniel in a picture of who was the one to come, Christ, who would not only escape lions, but escape the clutches of death itself by conquering death and resurrecting from the dead. As we go to chapter 7, we will see that chapter 7 is not a continuation of what happens after the lion's den. It's actually a break in the story, and actually the second half of Daniel is unlike the first half. The first half of Daniel is narrative. There are the events that have happened to Daniel and his friends during their time of exile. The second half of Daniel, chapter 7 through 12, is all about prophecy, And it is a very amazing passage of Scripture, one that has uh, confused many, one that has befuddled many theologians as they try to unravel the mysteries of these prophecies and what God is telling us. Of course, we will do so in the context of the book and of the lens of Scripture. Daniel contains much apocalyptic language. Apocalyptic language is language that is very filled with imagery and symbols and knowing how to interpret those symbols in that kind of apocalyptic language is could be a challenge and very surreal for for us as it paints a picture of the things to come that truly astound us however let's go to chapter 7 and we will see what is going on chapter with verse 1 in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. 
Then he wrote down the dream, and he told the sum of the matter. So right away, we are told that we go back to the days of King Belshazzar, who was the final king of Babylon. Remember, in chapter 6, we are told that Daniel was in the Persian Empire. Persian Empire replaced Babylon. Chapter seven is, 6 is many years after chapter 5. But now we're going back to before that, really into the days of the end of Babylon with King Belshazzar. You remember Belshazzar. He was the one who threw that great party as the Persian Empire is knocking down at the door, waiting to get, wanting to get in and overtake them. And then God pronounces judgment by uh, giving a handwriting on the wall. And so that night, Babylon the Great did fall and the Persian, Medan Persian Empire took over. Daniel says that he had a dream and he's writing down this details of this dream. And this happened all the way in the first year of Belshazzar. So Daniel goes to sleep and fills his mind with visions of the future. When he woke up, he wrote it down. Which, if you don't do with your dreams, you're likely to forget your dreams, right? You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, whoa, that was a crazy dream. And then the next day you're like, what was that about? I don't even remember. I don't even remember my dream. So thankfully, Daniel wrote it down. Number, verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night... And behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Again, remember, this is a dream. This is a vision given to him by God with great symbolic language. So in this dream, Daniel sees the sea, probably the Mediterranean Sea is what would have been very familiar to them at that time. And just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream are not to be taken literally, For example, a giant statue, 90 feet high, made up of all these different elements, which blow away like a chaff in the wind, or Nebuchadnezzar, who was like the great tree that was chopped down. Daniel's dream is also in that same light, very symbolic. And Daniel sees a great sea, and it's very windy, and the winds are coming from all over the place, Um, the north, the east, the south, and the west, and in other words, everywhere. It's windy everywhere, and it's blowing on the sea. Now, very interestingly, the sea in the Bible is very symbolic, in the Jewish world especially, of evil, chaos, and destruction. The sea was a very scary place to sail in the first century. Many shipwrecks happened, and uh, fierce storms, and many people died at the sea, in the sea. And so the sea was a very kind of scary place for the Jewish world. Perhaps you will understand a little bit better when you understand in Revelation, when John is giving a description of the new heavens and the new earth, he says, and there was no more sea. Does that mean I can't go on my boat in heaven, Dan? In the new heavens and new earth, there's no more, you know, Beautiful lake views. No, that's not what it's saying, literally. What John is saying is that there's no more sea, no more evil, no more chaos, no more destruction. Very symbolic, apocalyptic language. So all of you sea lovers can rest assured there will be water in the new heavens and the new earth. Especially my wife, Lori, who loves to eat out by the water. If you ever ask her, where do you want to go eat? She will pick somewhere by the water. So, 
So there is no more sea. This is what John is saying. And of course, around the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, um, represents all the ancient empires of the Old Testament era. Babylon, Rome, Greece, Egypt. The Mediterranean Sea is a massive area for that whole region, one that they're all dependent and familiar with. So John says, In my dream, the winds of heaven came from all the directions and stirred up the sea. The winds are causing a ruckus. This picture of evil and chaos and destruction is now in his dream. And John says in verse 3, and this is where it gets really weird, okay? Verse 3, And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Four giant beasts. What we're going to see in Daniel's dream here is a parallel to Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. God is going to give to Daniel the same kind of vision that he gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was this giant, giant statue that was made up of gold and silver and bronze and iron and iron mixed with clay at the bottom. And they represented four different kingdoms that were to come. God is giving to Daniel in the first year of Belshazzar the same dream from a different perspective. Instead of the four metals or the four materials, God is giving Daniel the dream as four beasts. Of course, beasts are violent and vicious and cruel and very scary, invoking much fear. God is giving Daniel what will happen to these kingdoms and the kingdoms that will come after this. And why is this so important? Here's Daniel near the end of the 70 years that he has been there, and he's an old man at that time. He got there as a young boy. Now he's there as an old man, and he's looking back. And I'm wondering if many of the Jews are wondering, has God forgotten us? Is Nebuchadnezzar all that great in power? Is Babylon all that great in power? And all his family is going to rule after this. Is this all we're ever going to be? Slaves in Babylon. Are we ever going to go back home? And through these visions and dreams, God tells them exactly that, no, these kingdoms do not last forever. But there's another kingdom coming after this one, and another kingdom coming after that one, and the one after that. These beasts represent four different kingdoms or four empires that will rise out of world history following the days of Daniel. And we know this for sure because Daniel tells us. Look down at verse 15. In verse 15 of this chapter, Daniel, after he gives the description of the four beasts, gives the interpretation. Because he's sitting there and he talks to somebody in his dream. He says, verse 15, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. It's important to understand that. Daniel gives us the interpretation. We don't need to speculate that. And so again, we go back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream and say this is a parallel account. Daniel, who received the interpretation of the dream, is now giving 
for Nebuchadnezzar is now needing his own interpretation. And Daniel's saying, ah, okay, I've seen this movie before. God has given me another picture of Nebi's dream. I say Nebi because Nebuchadnezzar is too much to say all the time, <laughs> especially when I'm lack of sleep. Um, the big picture here is just that. So now he goes to describe these four beasts. Look at verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and was lifted up from the ground and was made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Again, you can see the apocalyptic language here, right? I mean, the beast wasn't a lion. It was like a lion. And each of these beasts is going to have that same description. It was like a leopard, like a, uh, uh, a lion. But not just a lion. It had, a, it had eagle's wings on its back. So like a lion, eagle's wings. Something looked way different about this lion. And Daniel says, as he looked, the wings were plucked out. And the lion was made up to stand like he was a man. And he was given a sound mind. In Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, we remember that Nebuchadnezzar was told by Daniel that he represented the top of that statue, that the gold statue represented him in the kingdom of Babylon. It is, this is a fitting description here as well, as the lion is the king of the beasts. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of all these empires that ruled after him. And also, he not only was that, but he had eagle's wings. Eagle is the king of the birds. So you have the king of the birds, king of beasts, represented here in Nebuchadnezzar and in Babylon. But the wings were clipped, which means the power and the strength that, once ha- that this beast once had has now been brought down and brought low. Without wings, the beast could no longer fly And so it had to stand up like a man and then was given a sound mind. I believe what's happening here is that Daniel is being told, again, a reminder of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God. And even though he was mighty like a lion and had wings like an eagle, God clipped his wings and made him stand up like a man and humbled him to realize that he is not God, but he is just a man. And the fact that he was restored to a sound mind Tells you that what? Remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. For a time, he thought he was an ox. And he ate grass. And he slept on the floor and was wet with the dew of heaven when he woke up. To remember, and until he could remember, that God is the God who sets up and tears down kings. So, this is a very easy one. The mighty lion eagle king here was humbled by God to recognize he was a man. This is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But he was restored And therefore, this is the first image of this first beast. Look at verse 5. Daniel says, And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth. And it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. Well, the second kingdom that follows Nebuchadnezzar's dream is the Medo-Persian Empire. And at this point in history, Daniel, Medo-Persian Empire has not taken over yet. 
So all of this is future for Daniel as he's getting this dream. He's still in the year of Belshazzar. This is why when he interprets the handwriting on the wall, he knows exactly what God is doing. God is going to remove Babylon and bring in the Medo-Persians. So Daniel interprets that quite easily. This kingdom is pictured like a bear. Of course, in the Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it was represented by silver chest and arms, which symbolizes strength. The Medo-Persian Empire was a strong empire, like a bear, the strength of a bear. And the bear was raised up on one side. Now, some people wondered, if that, was that because it's getting ready to pounce, and so it's like elevated like this? Or, but I think it's just mentioning the two distinct sides of the bear. The bear is not just one unit, one bear. It looks like there's two different kind of bears there which represents the two kingdoms that came after, the Medo-Persian Empire. One is taller than the other. The bear also had three ribs in its mouth, which says it just had dinner. And interestingly, when we look back at history, the Medo-Persian Empire had three major conquests. See, we're looking back at this as fulfilled prophecy. Daniel has no idea what this would mean later, except that the bear is coming. But three major military victories the Medo-Persian Empire had, which probably represents the three ribs in the mouth of the bear. One is the Lydian kingdom in Asia Minor. The Medo-Persian Empire conquered them in 546 BC. Next was the Babylonian Empire which they conquered in 539 B.C. And then lastly was the kingdom of Egypt, who fell to the Medo-Persians in 525. In stunning detail, God gives to Daniel three of these historical victories that would come later. Before any of this happened, we have the luxury of looking back at it and seeing it fulfilled. But wow, what stunning detail prophecy gives us First the lion, eagle, now the bear with ribs in its mouth. Three ribs, signifying the three major victories of this empire. Look at number six. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So the third... Empire, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, is the Greek empire. And historically, the Greeks eventually took out the Medo-Persians. They came next. And Daniel describes this beast like a leopard. A leopard that also had four wings on its back. But not just four wings, but also four heads. And again, in stunning detail, this fulfills and represents the Greek empire empire underneath Alexander the Great as he conquers the world. The Greek empire is known historically for the blazing speed that they conquered the world. As they advanced their kingdom throughout the far reaches of the world, the impressiveness of Alexander the Great's military might and genius was well known. And perhaps this is symbolized by the leopard's speed. A leopard, of course, being a very fast and speedy animal. And the four wings also magnify and multiply the speed. Not only did he have two wings to fly and go fast, he had four wings. But also four 
heads. Interestingly, after Alexander the Great died, the Greek Empire was split up into four kingdoms. Four different kings ruling Greece after he died. And dominion was given to it. The Greek Empire ruled the world. But, as you know, they also fell as well. And who comes after Greece but Rome? We know that the fourth beast in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was represented with iron legs, iron thighs and iron legs. The fourth beast, let's see in verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions and beheld a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This fourth beast is not seen and compared to anything else. It was a beast, but Daniel doesn't say it was like a bear or a lion or, or a leopard. It's just a beast. But what stands out to the beast is that it had horns, ten horns, and it would, had iron teeth. I told you apocalyptic language is quite symbolic and interesting, isn't it? So here, obviously there's no real beast with iron teeth. This is a vision, a dream that symbolizes and means something else. And Daniel says, it devoured and broke in pieces everything that was in its way. It ruled ruthlessly, and it was far different in strength and in power and in might than all the other beasts before it. Rome was indeed that kingdom. Rome was indeed the kingdom that devoured and was unlike Babylon, unlike Medo-Persia, unlike Greek empire. Terrifying, dreadful, exceeding might. Rome conquered the world by the sword, ruthlessly. Implementing their law, implementing their Caesar worship, and they frighten the entire world. Strength and ruthlessness was the characteristics of this fourth beast. And I think this could be said of Rome as well. But what is, what is very interesting here is that this beast had ten horns, which again points us to Rome. Why? Because Rome is known as a city with ten hills. Again, in stunning detail, Daniel points us through God to the interpretation of this prophecy, and we have the luxury of looking back. It's no coincidence that Rome has 10 hills, as Rome had such a massive impact on the world economy, trade, and ruled with iron. So here's four beasts. And you know why? Daniel is alarmed in his head. Why? Why? Because he doesn't know what in the world this means. He, 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 what is this to come in the future? We thought Babylon was bad. But these other beasts are even far worse than that. Look at verse 8. Daniel then begins to study this fourth beast. He says, I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one. Before which three 
of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So, in this fourth beast, represented by these ten horns, three of these horns are plucked up, and in its place rises a little horn. And the little horn is unlike the other horns, for it speaks like a man speaking great things and has the eyes of a man. This horn, of course, symbolizes a world ruler, a fearful world ruler that is to come, who is so fierce that overthrows even elements of this fourth kingdom and this fourth beast. Well, Daniel tells us a little bit more about this little horn. Look down at verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 24. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall rise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And they, and shall, and cause them to think, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. I, I, we find fascinating information here. Let, let's just pause and, and just think about what we have seen and already read here. We see each of these kingdoms represent a world empire in history. And now we have this horn which represents another godless, blaspheming, God-hating empire, and ruler. They all have the same thing in common. All these kingdoms hate the God of Israel. All these kingdoms hate God's people. They are represented and empowered by the evil one. This goes back to the garden. All these empires are pictures of of the world systems and the world that hates God. All of them. The first worldly empire that, that rebelled against God is in Genesis chapter 3. Actually, it goes before that in heaven as Satan rebelled against God and with him a third of the angels fell. We're told in Revelation that Satan, represented as a dragon, empowers this beast. We'll look at that in a minute. Who is behind all of this evil? Who is behind all of this destruction? Who is behind making war with the saints of God? It is always the evil one. It is always Satan. All these kingdoms are satanic as they oppressed and ruled over God's people, and even did, done atrocious things in the temple of God. Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the temple and also stole the elements of the temple, the gold and the silver instruments, took them out of the temple and desecrated them. Belshazzar used them for, we said, red solo cups a couple weeks ago. This has always been the story. Satan hates God. Satan uses godless world empires to oppose God 
It started in the garden. It continued through the Tower of Babel. It continued all throughout the Old Testament. Throughout all these empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and even today. This world hates God, and that should not surprise you. What Daniel is receiving from God here is is just that. Daniel, don't be surprised that this world hates me. It will continue to hate me. It will continue to rebel against me. But here's what all these kingdoms have in common, Daniel. They all fall. They all will come to ruin. And they're all operating underneath the hands of a sovereign God. All of them. The one thing that's very interesting about apocalyptic language, which is very symbolic, is it has a pattern of repeating itself. What you see in the Bible as symbols represent the actual historical people in time. But remember that Satan is always up to his old tricks over time. And these things continue to repeat themselves. What he does in Babylon, he does in Greece, and he does in Persia. And he will do through this little horn, which most likely represents an end times ruler, which we most likely, most commonly refer to as Antichrist. A demon-possessed man who, according to Daniel, speaks great things, blasphemous things with his mouth. He wears out the saints of the Most High, changing their law. But his time is also short. This end times ruler, this antichrist is very much similar like Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander, and Caesars. This will refer to an individual at the end of human history that will oppose God. But he's not the first one. He's just the last in a long line of satanic men who have hated God and have oppressed the people of God. He speaks lies. He makes wars against the church. And he will seemingly appear to have victory, Daniel says, over the people of God. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. As the exiles in Judah were being worn out by repeated kingdoms and and oppressive rulers that came over them. The history of Israel has always been one of oppression, but it's also due to their sin, breaking their covenant with God and God bringing judgment upon them because of their wickedness. That's the story of the Old Testament. And God uses evil rulers to bring judgment on his people. And though he is sovereign, he is control over that. And Satan will do whatever he can to oppose God within his God-given limits and boundaries to bring an end to the messianic line, to the rule of God in the world. This is what we see throughout history. This is what we see today. These are not just reserved to ancient empires. It's also reserved to those who wear the title Republican and Democrat. It's also referred to those who live in Tallahassee and live in Washington, D.C. and live in Paris and China This world hates God. And if you don't understand that yet, I I don't know why. 
This world is under, it has been attacking the principles and the law of God since the beginning. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Just think about the book of Genesis for a moment. Satan, through these worldly powers, are now seeking to pervert and overthrow even the rule and law of God. Confusing us to understand even what gender is or what marriage is. Or what sin is. These worldly oppressive things sometimes wear the title of woke. Speaking great things that sound great and promising, but at the end is destruction and the perversion of God and His law. And all of them who speak for this beast will also come to a swift destruction. You cannot oppose God without consequence. You cannot oppress the people of God without coming to your own end. We saw this in recent years. I mentioned this last week. Just an oppressive government. In California, it was legal for bars to remain open and illegal for churches to meet. Did you know that now... In England, they have passed a law that is against the law to even pray silently in front of a Planned Parenthood. To stand there and pray silently. People have been arrested in recent weeks in London. All of these empires, all of this demonic oppression goes back to the garden. It has been the case, it will continue to be the case until the Lord Jesus destroys them with the breath of his mouth. This end times ruler, Antichrist, is just the last one in a long line of godless leaders who oppose God. And Daniel will see this through this vision. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander, and even in the year 150 BC, a man named Antichus Epiphanes. Who is that? Well, Google him. He's a ruler of the Greek Empire. What did he do? Around the, one, around the year 150, what does he do? He hates the Jews. And he goes in there and tries to take them away from their worship of their God. He goes into the temple of God around the year 150, and he sacrifices a pig in the temple of God. You know that God said that pork and pigs are unclean. In defiance to the God of Israel, he goes in, And sacrifices a pig and desecrates the temple. This is an immediate fulfillment of what Daniel calls in chapter 8 and later the abomination of desolation. Which just didn't happen in the year 150. It also happened in the year 70. When the Roman general Titus and Emperor Titus ordered the destruction of Jerusalem. What did he do? He desecrated the temple of God, bringing great abomination of desolation. And this, again, very symbolic repetition is what is spoken of also 
that this end times ruler antichrist will desecrate the temple of God, which I take not to be a physical place, but who is the temple of God of the New Testament? Believers. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You are the temple of God who has the Holy Spirit inside of you. This end times ruler will persecute and oppress God's people at the end to bring about another abomination of desolation of God's holy temple where His Holy Spirit dwells. The Caesars are no doubt a type of Antichrist. Antichus Epiphanes was a type of Antichrist. Nero was a form of Antichrist. Which, by the way, in the book of Revelation, John says that the beast will torment the church for 42 months. And that's exactly how long Nero reigned. How long? 42 months. The, right, the readers of John's revelation knew exactly who he was talking of. He was talking about Antichrist, who shows itself up in the form of a Caesar. But also, this pattern continues. It's not just one individual. It's a repeated pattern throughout history and will manifest itself again and again and again. The Protestant reformers believed that even the Pope... And it says in our 1689 Baptist Confession, we haven't seen it yet, that the Pope is an Antichrist as he makes war against the Reformers and Bloody Mary in England, burning at the stake the Protestants in England, killing dozens and dozens and dozens of people for violating the Catholic Mass. Hitler was a form of Antichrist persecuting and killing six million Jews. He does this in the form, in the spirit of Antichrist. Throughout history, Satan always pops up and plays the same games and has different puppets with different names and titles. This is what we see in this Bible. That's what we see throughout history. And this is what will happen at the end. It pops up in the name of godless and blaspheming government that opposes God and his law and persecutes the people of God. It always has that in common. Satan is always up to the same old tricks. Nothing changes. He used big government in Canada to oppress the church and imprison pastors over COVID lockdowns. We heard James Coates this week in Los Angeles. He was the pastor who was jailed for three months in Canada for gathering his church to worship Imprisoning pastors who speak out against the LGBTQ movement is a hate crime to say that homosexuality is a sin in Canada. Again, we see the same oppressive, godless government again and again. And just because some people may appear to be on your side, don't be confused that conservatism equals Christian. They don't. We see this in the slaughter of children in the womb. We see this in the genital mutilation of children who are confused with this transgender delusion and confusion. It will continue. As this world hates God and Satan will use people in the world to oppress people of God and confuse the law of God. It's a broken record throughout history. Just like Epiphanes Desecrated the temple in 150 and Titus in 70. 
It will continue to happen again and again. And this is what John says in Revelation 13. I know many of you are dying for me to preach Revelation. You've asked me and pleaded with me. Honestly, I don't know if some of you are ready for it. Revelation 13, listen to what John says in Revelation 13. In verse 1, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. This is John. Remember, what did Daniel say? Four beasts rising out of the sea. But listen to this. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns. Does that sound familiar? Seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion. Here we have the three beasts of Daniel's vision in one beast coming out of the sea in John's revelation. What is John saying? At the end, all of these oppressive rulers will be like they're gathered in one person. And you have to read Revelation 12 to make sense of Revelation 13, which says that this beast is empowered by the dragon, which is Satan. Here you have three beasts mentioned. And of course, Rome is not mentioned as a beast, or he's like a beast with ten horns. But here he's mentioned too. And to the dragon gave his power and throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. But its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Here's an imagery like this beast will mimic the death and resurrection of Jesus. That, that could mean several different things. We don't have time for that today. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. Who are they worshiping ultimately? Satan. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. John was writing to seven churches in Revelation. They knew exactly who he was talking about. But again, these patterns repeat throughout history. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. By the way, Nero was the sixth Caesar. John says, let this be known to you. That his number is 666. Satanic. They're identifying who Caesar is. You don't have to do mind games and algorithms to say, uh, and this is what people used to do a lot of time, and say, oh, Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist because his letters add up to... No, that's craziness. They knew exactly who 666 represented. It represented Nero. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life and the Lamb who was slain. God keeps his remnant. We heard that a lot this week. John uh, also, I mean, Paul talks about this antichrist in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Thessalonians were worried that they missed the second coming. And Paul says, are you serious? You haven't missed it. Listen, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. 
That happened in the year 70 AD with Titus. Again, by repeated patterns throughout history. Proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do it. So until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. With all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. What, what, what are we to do with this? What, what are, how do we live as exiles? See, this is the, the message for Daniel. How do you live underneath the kingdom of a beast? This is the message for today. Also read 1 Peter. Peter was written to exiles. Who were dispersed around the world. How do you live underneath the empire of a beast? Of a God hater, Satan, oppressive government who hates God and his people. Well, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. This world hates God. How do you live in the empire? You don't love the world who hates God. Don't pollute yourself with it. Separate yourself from it. The world has an end. You don't want to be with the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now listen to what he says. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. There's many people who have opposed God and his people. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Don't love the world, don't be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord Jesus will destroy the lawless one with the breath of his mouth. Babylon fell. Greece fell. The Persians fell. Rome fell. And so will every godless government and wicked ruler also fall and be held accountable before the God of creation and his Christ. James also has a similar warning to us. Those who would love to mix themselves with the world and be in love with the world who hates God. See, friends, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Once we've come born again in Christ, we belong to another kingdom. We belong to another king. James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Repent of your sins and live holy lives and live for God's law and word. Look above. Do not look below for your happiness and your peace. This is the message of Daniel. It was given to Nebuchadnezzar as judgment. 
is given to Daniel as encouragement. And we don't, I'm just going to introduce it today. And we'll talk about it next week. But the next thing that Daniel sees after this fourth beast and little horn, look at verse 9. This is so good. Can we stay another hour? Actually, I need some more sleep. Um, look at verse 9. As I looked, he's, here's his dream of the ocean and the winds and the beasts coming out. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's God the Father. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. The wheel, its wheels were burning fire. Again, this is symbolic, okay? A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Daniel's not counting. That just means a whole lot of people. (laughs) The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked. Then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. So he sees this little horn speaking blasphemous things against the ancient of days sitting on his throne. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. That's what John tells us. That he cast the beast and the false prophet and the antichrist and the dragon in the lake of fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, John, uh, Daniel says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. And of course, you know who this is. The Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title of himself. Jesus used Son of Man more than he used Son of God to describe himself. Why? Because the Son of Man is a messianic title. Here's a picture, this vision that Daniel has of death and destruction in the sea of evil beasts speaking blasphemous things, persecuting the people of God. But here is God the Father, and before him comes the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah who sits before him. And he comes to the Father. He comes to the throne room of God. And to him was given dominion that will never fade away. To him is given a rule and a people and tongues and languages to serve him. He never will be struck down. He is the root of David who sits on David's throne forever. He is the one that has been given grace and salvation and judgment. He is the one who has been promised since the Garden of Eden that was told to Eve that one day your seed will crush the head of this serpent, this dragon. 
This one who's been making war against God since the beginning, who uses puppets to oppress the people of God. One day, they all meet their doom. So you, people living in exile, underneath oppressive beasts and kingdoms and evil rulers and laws that want to pervert God and pervert His people and shut down the church and shut down whatever is true and holy, Jesus wins! Jesus wins! Daniel, be encouraged. Tough days are coming. They're not going to get easier. And notice, Daniel says that they were given to power and time to live. Not by Satan, but by God. God is sovereign over those beasts. And just as he is sovereign over Pharaoh, and then he judged Pharaoh, he is sovereign over these beasts and kingdoms and will bring them to an utter destruction as well. So yes, there is an end times antichrist coming. But he's not the first, nor will he be, but he will be the last. <laughs> this has been going on since the garden in different shapes and forms and fashions. And we see Daniel tying with Revelation and we get excited and it's so beautiful. But here's the point. When we study prophecy and Revelation and end time stuff, it is so Normal for us to get so wrapped up in the details and who is the Antichrist and who is this and how many years and that's not the point. John didn't write Revelation so that we could have charts and timelines and do algorithms to figure out who people are. John gave us Revelation. Daniel was given this dream by God so that the people of God would say and know this. Things are getting tough. Things are tough. Things are not going to get better. But they won't last forever. Every evil ruler will meet his day. He will meet his doom. This is sure. Be encouraged. Stand for God. Live for God. Fight tyranny. Fight godless ideologies. Every few years, another one pops up. Five years from now, more will pop up. More confusion, more chaos, more evil. Stand up against it, for the beast is raging. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But our God is the one who shuts lions' mouths and brings them to an utter end. Let's pray.